Hey everyone, and welcome to Season 6 of the Millennial Pastor Podcast. My name is Hunter Thrasher, and I'm going to be your guest host for this season while we chat with millennial pastors within the Church of the Nazarene who are on a mission to change the way the church interacts with the community that they are a part of. We're going to listen to their stories, how they've grown in their ministry throughout the years, what is exciting them, um, what are some of the unique joys and challenges that they are experiencing in their ministry today, and how they're reshaping the way that they were taught to pastor to fit the new age that we find ourselves in in America today. Today's guest is a good friend of mine, Pastor Robert Yates. Pastor Rob is the senior pastor at Harvest Church of the Nazarene in Conway, Arkansas. He served as a youth pastor for 16 years before accepting the call to Harvest Church and is now in his first year of ministry as a senior pastor. His ministry story is one that is filled with God's grace. He's, he's faced real challenges, but he's been able to recognize that God has been there through it all. He's got a focus on true discipleship within his church and is empowering his congregation to love the people that are around them. I was able to record uh, Pastor Rob in person, which seemed a lot easier at the time, um, but it ended up leading to some unexpected technical difficulties in post, so the audio is not perfect. Uh, there's a little bit of reverb and some bouncing around, but I hope it's not not too distracting. And with that being said, I hope you enjoy my conversation with Pastor Rob Yates on episode one of season six of the Millennial Pastor Podcast. Hey everybody, I'm here with Pastor Rob Yates from Conway Harvest, and I'm really looking forward to our conversation today. I think he has a lot of valuable insights for us on this first podcast of this new season. So we're just going to jump right into it, Rob. Uh, why don't you just go ahead and introduce yourself um, and tell us a little bit about how you became a part of the Church of the Nazarene. Well, you know, my story actually starts with my parents. Um, one day, my dad was a kid growing up. He was a, a Navy brat. Um, my, my grandmother is full Japanese. And so they met on the Navy base out there in uh, Sasebo, Japan. And so they moved to San Diego, California eventually. And uh, one day when my dad was a kid, this little old lady came knocking on the door and invited my dad and his family to the Nazarene church there. And so that is how we became a part of the Church of Nazarene, is the good old, hey, little old lady knocking on the door inviting you to church. <laughs> and so my dad uh, did three years at Point Loma, but he had to work his way through. I mean, college isn't cheap. And so eventually he, he left and met my mom at good old Montgomery Ward. That's a good way back, way back, beginning of Sears and all that kind of fun stuff. <laughs> so they got married, had me. Um, we're at a, a Wesleyan church out there, and my dad knew a pastor that was moving to Orlando, Florida. And he said, hey, Bob, if you, if you want, uh, why don't you uh, come be an associate pastor for me down in Orlando, Florida? Um, I can't guarantee you a long-term job, but if you'll come, <laughs> we'll, uh, we'll see what will happen. And so on my fourth birthday, we arrived at, uh, in Orlando, Florida. Um, my dad was on staff for a solid year before it wasn't a great fit. So we continued to go to the church because um, my dad loved the people. But my dad had started taking his master's classes at a local um, Baptist seminary because it's all they had around. And so he's working on his MDiv, sitting in class one day. And 
the professor gets up and he goes, hey, so I um, just want to kind of know, like, what are you guys looking to do in ministry? And my dad knew there was another Nazarene in the class, and that guy stood up and he goes, hey, I'm looking at starting a, a church on the west side of Orlando. And my dad jokingly stood up and goes, and I'm going to be his associate. So was he sensing a call to ministry in California, or oh, just the yeah, call yeah, to be associate yeah. was random? No, no. so he was, he was full in on, on being the associate. He was full in on doing ministry. Gotcha. He just never knew what that looked like. Yeah. And so my dad pretty much volunteered on staff with this gentleman for years. Um, and so I was in ninth grade, and um, the DS called and goes, hey, can you go to this church? And my dad said, sure, I'll fill in on a Sunday night back when we did Sunday nights, you know, and, and you had to have, you know, somebody preach on a Sunday night right, service. Right. And Wednesday. Right. Yeah. <laughs> let's, let's not forsake the assembling of ourselves, okay? That's exactly like, right. So a few months later, um, <laughs> they call my dad to be the pastor of the church, um, you know, which is, you know, slightly traumatic when you have to lead the church you've known for pretty much your whole life, you know, during your freshman year of high school. That's, that's always a great fun. Um, yep. And so about the time I was 16, 17, I, I was beginning to feel a call into ministry. Hmm. And um, obviously I'd been told my whole life, oh, your dad's a pastor, so you are too. Right. Which <laughs> everyone hates as right. the guy who's also a pastor <laughs> with his dad being a pastor. I was going to say, we, we have a similar story, except for I, I was almost always the pastor's kid, and you kind of got to experience it that freshman year of, of high school. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know that that and puberty really helped anything, <laughs> no, but I mean, you know, it no, is. No, it no, is, no. is. No. And it's, I, I know how tough that can be to try to discern this call to ministry when you have a parent that's doing it as well, because it's almost like it could be a default. Right. Um, but there is that really strong calling. So t- tell me a little bit about that. So I told my dad one day, I said, hey, I, I'm feeling a call to ministry. And he goes, all right, son. Well, then we need to set up an appointment for you to come meet with the pastor in his office. But <laughs> like, like, you're my dad. And he's yeah. like, he's like, no, if you're going to get your local license, because that's what we do in the Church of Nazarene, you yeah. feel a call, we're going to take you before the board, get you a local license. Yeah. So you got to sit down with the pastor first, who's going to recommend you for that local license. Yeah. I was like, okay. And so going to my dad's office, and, and because I'm like a 16, 17-year-old boy, like, the idea of emotions, mm-hmm. like, except anger, are non-existent. Right. And my dad goes, all right, son, tell me about your call to ministry. And I felt like my whole demeanor changed. He's like, why do you want to do this? I said, people, Dad. I just, like, I want to be there for people. God has called me to people. Yeah. And I was like... Hold on, <clears throat> where, where, where did that come from? Yeah. And he was like, that's what it's about. And so, got my local license, did the whole uh, Trevecca experience. Gotcha. <laughs> Which, the great thing about Trevecca is, back in those days, was when you graduated with your Bachelor's of Religion, you finished the course of study. Okay. So, like... Each, each time coming back to, to meet with the board, like, they only wanted to see me, like, one time. Because as long as I was enrolled right. at Trevecca, they were like, dude, you're taking classes, you're doing internships. And there wasn't the dude. expectation that you might have to graduate and take six or seven more courses. No, no. Yeah. Like, it was like, yeah, boom. That's great. 
graduated when it was the Central Florida District, of course, not the Florida one. But there was two really unique experiences during that time. One was I spent a month in Russia um, after my freshman year. That really kind of solidified my call. Um, I interned at Goodlitzville. It was about 20 minutes outside of Nashville. Um, Passed there, Daryl Blank, great guy. Um, I had a student chaplain, um, Jeremy Pass, who was like, hey, man, you need to come to church with me. Don't have a car, so I mean, like, hey, yeah. guy invites me to church, go with him, and yeah. it was it was a great fit. Learned a lot there. Um, learned a lot from Jeremy and and Daryl is just such a kind, loving guy, um, and just the church was just really loving. They, there was this wonderful couple, Ed and and Candy Mitchell, and uh, they took us college kids under their wings. Uh, their son was our age as well, and just loved on us. Um, she she reaches out to me every now and again, and, and she she told me one time she goes, hey, we wrote you letters like after you moved um, to go take be a part of your first church, and I still have those. One day, those may come and just show up at your door, but that was just her heart. She just wanted to yeah. encourage and, and just love, and it was it's a cool experience. Um, also, one of my summers, I I interned at a place called Sanford, just north of Orlando, and did the youth pastor thing. Yeah, that taught me a lot. Um, you know, 21-year-olds as youth pastors, not, not really great ideas, but, you know, I mean, like, it was fine. Learned a lot. But um, when I graduated from Tribeca, um, that same pastor called me and he said, hey, I got a part-time gig out in um, Arkansas. And I was okay. like... Unfamiliar. I was like, wait a second. Um <laughs> Where is Arkansas exactly? Right. Oh, the other side of the Mississippi. Oh, I, f- I, don't, I don't know about this. And he's like, well, it's part-time. And I was like, okay. So a buddy and I drove out, checked it out, um, and it was, it was part-time. Yeah. $10,000 that first year. Oh, really? Yeah. Um, and so I substitute taught. How long did you do that? Two years. Okay. And then they found out that I was getting married to Amanda mm-hmm. and like... She was actually going to marry me in real life. It wasn't right. wasn't yeah. wasn't just Facebook. Yeah. Um, and they brought me on full time because I was getting married. It was, oh, really? it was it's one of those touching conversations. Like, man, yeah. you're doing such good ministry. Also, you're getting married, so we're gonna pay you full time. Wow. <laughs> May not have been exactly like that, but that is one hundred percent how it felt. Yeah. Yeah. It just was too coincidental. Yeah. And so um, we were at that church for for six and a half years. Um, Good ministry, a, a lot of learning. Mm. You know, when when you're the young guy putting in, especially when I was single, working all day and then, then coming in at night and, and doing stuff. And, you know, there's definitely times where I was like, God, is this really worth it? Like, mm. when you talk ministry, like, this is not what right. I feel like I was going to do. You know, like, substitute teaching during the day with, with kids saying both, inappropriate things to me and then wanting to be my best friend at the same time, yep. you know, um, cause they're still figuring it out too. Right. Yeah. yeah. And so me figuring it out, them figuring it out wasn't always a great mix, but, yep. and so, but there was a lot of struggles there leadership wise, mm-hmm. you know, um, I had a different philosophy of ministry than, than the senior pastor did, than the board did. And so there started to become more and more struggles um, until one day we were in a staff meeting and he just yelled at me. Mm. He, he asked for something that I felt like was not possible in the timetable we were given. And I said, that's not possible. 
and um, I was very loudly told that it was possible and that we would make it happen. Mm-hmm. Um, and after two weeks of not talking to each other, he called me in his office and said, uh, I want to know why you're not talking to me. Mm-hmm. You, you're just going to keep being silent the rest of the time? I said, well, do you want to know why? Yeah. I'm not talking to you. It's like, well, fine, tell me. I was like, well, you yelled at me. Yeah. Like, you treated me like I wasn't worth anything. Right. And I didn't feel like it was appropriate for you to talk to me that way. Yeah. Well, I wasn't talking to you, but again, that's what it felt like. So often I think that um, we are so ill-prepared as ministers in all of the classes and in, the, in, the, in college and all the things that we are, uh, that we're a part of and we go through to prepare for ministry to, to deal with conflict on a church staff at that level like you just talked about. And, and you talked about the, the bivocational ministry. That's something else that, that so many pastors are, are ill-prepared for. We've all through our training, they're training us to be full-time pastors. And when you enter into a situation like that, when you're working a full-time job and being a youth pastor at night, you don't know how to have those relationships with people like you were talking about. Um, it's just tough to do. Yeah, and it was, it was cool to see how my, my dad handled it through all those years. Yeah. But even then, I was so young, you know, I didn't know how some of those things happened. And so, like, I didn't know healthy conflict because, like, I'd never had to deal with it. Yep. Yep. And so, so after after we went through some of that, I felt God released me. But it was pretty much two years before the next thing opened up. Really? Yeah. It it was not a, a short period of time. And so, there's plenty of times within that that I just questioned. Yeah. And then... And then, of course, of all times, Amanda is pregnant with our with our first daughter. Oh, really? And and so as we're kind of going through it, it's getting closer and closer to the due date, and we had the interview. We moved three weeks after Maggie was born. Wow. Three. Again, for both marriage and family, probably not the best recommendation for anybody. It's what we did. Yeah. You know, but it got us out of that situation into a place that, that at the beginning was a good place. Yep. You know, um, that church for six and a half years, the next church for nine. Yeah, wow. You know, and so, and, and there's a lot of growth on my part. Um, a lot of things I had to, to go through to learn, um, to struggle with. Um, you know, it's interesting. Another one of the dynamics they don't train us for is like how often staff changes. You know, in 16 years, um, I've gone through almost eight kids pastors. Wow. Yeah. I mean, it's... The turnover. Yeah. You know, they talk about youth pastors, and I was the youth pastor who was there long term, you know. And um, eventually at that church, things just continued to go downhill. Um, And there was a lot of conflict, a lot of issues, um, until eventually... One day, you know, meeting with with the pastor, and he just said, "Hey, it's it's time. Mm-hmm. You know, we need to make a change." And so, caught me and Amanda completely off guard. Um, it's just tough. It's tough to have to walk in um, and tell your your nine year old that her whole world is about to change. You know, and. And through our time, you know, it hasn't been without struggle. My, my youngest daughter is six, and she has Down syndrome. And we didn't know that she was going to be born with Down syndrome. Right. And so um, that's been a journey for us. You know, but the way that 
I see God continue to provide in so many ways. It's just, it's crazy. Um, the night that Molly was born um, was the first night that we were going to split the youth ministry into middle school and high school separate. We were going to run the services like simultaneously. Yeah. So while the middle schoolers were playing games, high school was in worship and preaching, and then we flip-flopped. Yeah, flip, yeah. Okay. yeah the very first night we were going to do that, Molly was born. And, um, and yeah, and then it was 23 days in the hospital after that. Um, and then therapies every three times a week for six hours yeah. each week until our most recent move. And then, uh, so through all of that, and, and you've described a couple tough situations, um, that you kind of navigated a period in, in the middle there of two years where you were kind of in limbo as far as ministry is concerned. And then, um, family, family stuff going on too. Why are you still a, a, a pastor? That is a great question. Um, there were plenty of times, especially post this previous transition, that I wasn't wanting to be. Yeah. Um, just the way certain things were handled, the way I was dealt with, um, was very hurtful. Um, my family's still dealing with a lot of the trauma from that. Um, again, telling both your wife and your kids that everything is changing and then trying to figure out what it looks like going, going back into the, into the world of substitute teaching, um, is also fun. Um, cause, um, 2006 and 2021 are two very, very different, yep. um, kinds of places. Absolutely. But the thing that, there's a few things that held me in place. One is always the, but God hmm. moments, you know, Joseph says it in Genesis 50, you know, like, what you meant for evil, but God is doing it, using it for good. Is yeah. God always provided unique things along the way that was like, I've not forgotten you. Like, I haven't given up. Yeah. Like, I'm, I'm still here. Maybe you're giving up. Right. But, um, like, I'm going to continue to provide in ways that you don't recognize that I'm doing, but I am. You know, one of the things early on, when I first transitioned to that place nine years before, I got in a phone call. Um, one Wednesday night, I was getting ready, and it was, you know, three or four o'clock in the afternoon. And um, this was back when you took phone calls from numbers you didn't know. <laughs> right, not anymore. <laughs> right, right. And so um, this Texas number shows up, and I'm like, oh, whatever. And I answer, and they're like, hey, man, uh, my name's Aaron. Um, I'm going to be the youth pastor about 15 minutes from where you're at. We should hang out. Like, when you get here, like, I'm, ex I'm excited to work together. You know, it was friendships like that. Yeah. It was other buddies going like, hey, my pastor's out this week. Would you fill in for us? Yeah. It was other guys going like, hey, come, come do my retreat. Come, come just spend some time with me. Like, you need to, you need to get out of the, that place. You need, to, you need to do that. It's, it's another pastor who looked at me, and he asked me to preach one Sunday, and I was like, like do, you, you know my story. Do you really want me to do that? I mean, because honestly, it it broke me. It it shattered every idea that God could still use me or had called me, even though I could still see how He's using me and calling me. I just right. in those moments, you just 
don't feel it at all. And watching the, the pain that my family is going through. And I said, are you sure about that? And he goes, are you not called by God? Are you not an ordained elder in the Church of the Nazarene in good standing? Why would I not have you preach for me? And I just stepped back and I was like, well, I, I can't argue with you. But also, this is more encouragement than I've gotten in years. Mm. And it was, it was those friendships, those, those encouraging moments that God provided. And also, honestly, the church board went to bat for me. And, and they provided in ways that, that I, didn't, I didn't ask for. And that transition. Yeah, they just, they gave me such a gift both, you know, yes, the, the resources part was great, but, but their friendship their community, when we felt like we had been divorced from our community. Just their friendship really brought me through a lot of that. And then, you know, you sit there and you you look back and you go, God, why did you let all that happen? But I look back and all of that was preparing me to be at a place where he can use me. Hmm. Like... I joke with Amanda, my wife, that like, what what else can, can go wrong? Like, I mean, yeah. <laughs> what can somebody throw my way that I'm not just going to kind of laugh and be like, oh, is that supposed to be a big deal? Right. Like, oh, okay, that's cool. Yeah. Well, whatever. You know, because God has just done so much to, to see me through that um, in, in those dark moments, after I was let go, you know, I had to come to understand that we talk about how ministry can be so great. And, and trust me, I love the fact that I have friends in such great, healthy spots. Yeah. Like one of the things that I, that I love seeing was, was a friend of mine in a very healthy situation as, as he transitioned out and the lead pastor walk in and go, oh, we're not losing a staff member. Mm-hmm. We are sending him. We, we have spent this time with him, and we're sending, like, this is our opportunity to participate in this transition. And I'm like, oh, this is so beautiful. Right. Like, this is perfect. But I, they always seem to feel like, you know, if you're suffering in any way, like, what's wrong with you? Yeah. Like, what did you do to mess it up? And trust me, do I have fault in a lot of these things? Yes, I, I, I share in that. There is nothing that... I couldn't have responded to better. I couldn't have worked through better. That I couldn't have had a better attitude. I couldn't have chosen. Like, yeah, I bear responsibility for my portion of those those events. Yeah. 100%. But early on, and it's something that I can't get away from now. And every time I read John 9, it wrecks me. You know, John 9 is where Jesus is asked the question by his disciples. He's, they see a blind man who's been blind from birth walking by, and, and they go, Jesus. Who sinned that this man was born blind? Like his parents or him before he was born? Hmm. And Jesus goes, neither one sinned, but so that the glory of God could be seen through this situation. Mm-hmm. And it, it just continues to remind me that, that my outlook has an effect on this thing. Like I can look at it as this is the death blow to my ministry. This is the death blow to my family. This is killing me like 
it is wrecking every part of my self-esteem and, and worth and value. But what is God trying to show me through this? And, and so often, I think we can get caught up in, in saying, oh, why, why is God doing this to me? Or why is he allowing it to happen? When really the, the answer is um, that he's not allowing it to happen. He's walking with us through that. And so, yes, we're going through this difficult situation, but, but God is there in the midst of it. And, and he's, he's walking with us down whatever, whatever that road is. And I think you have such uh, a beautiful understanding of that. But it's only because I've suffered. Yeah. Like sometimes we, we want this thing to be so easy, to be so clean, right. that we're supposed to be there for other people when they suffer. Yeah. But why should I have to suffer? that I, I have experienced so much of the grace and love of God in this process that I just go, I, the reason I stay is because it's the, also the words of Peter. To Lord, where else are we going to go? Mm-hmm. You have the words of life. Hmm. And it really has been life-saving for me. Yeah. You know, Yes, I still have bad days. Right. You know, and, and even in this latest transition, which has been absolutely crazy, yeah. you know, to, to go and interview at a church, and, and their first question is, um, so assuming this all th- whole thing works out the way we think it's going to, and you're like, whoa, whoa. They, uh, they want you. They, yeah. Right. To like, we did, thankfully, I had some kind people in our church that allowed me to stay in a room and when I, when I came and, you know, just to experience that, that love and grace was so, so cool, but also, you know, didn't come with, without challenges. I was without my family every weekend. Right. Um, I would substitute teach all week long with middle schoolers and Lord knows being a youth pastor, like when you see them for an hour or three a week is, is fantastic. Uh, retreats, sure. They can start to get a little annoying. Imagine seeing them every day, like teachers, God bless you. Um, <laughs> Yes, I don't think anybody disagrees there. Yeah. <laughs> um, so let's talk about that transition. So you're you're now the senior pastor at at, at Conway Harvest. Um, so tell me some of the unique things that you're experiencing as a, as a senior pastor. What what's what's different than you expected? Tell me. Uh, I always talk about my own ministry with unique joys and unique challenges. So what are some of those? So. Um... When, when I was growing up through the church, like, they always told us if you were at, like, a, on staff at a church of X amount, that when you became a senior pastor, they'd put you at a church of X amount because that's, that's what would happen. And so I, I've told myself that if I were, like, if this were, like, 10 years ago, to tell me that I'm at a church of, like, 50 to 60 people, I would, I would first have asked you, like, what did I do wrong? And the truth is, like, the question now is, what did I do right? Yeah. That, like, God would bless me with this really cool, unique set of circumstances. Yeah. Um, Harvest is, like, really close to a college, but then it's on the edge of town, down a road about a mile plus, where you don't even know it's there. So, like, when people go, you know what you need? Location, location, location. It currently is not that. And so... While the location is not great, the people are amazing. Mm. 
Like they have loved and embraced us. Um, I'm perfectly honest with them about where I'm at, what I'm dealing with, so that they understand how to respond to me. Um, They've been through some tough transitions, but they have always been the kind, loving ones who have walked with people through that. And I've found that to be so true with them. And just, they love one another. Um, Sunday mornings are like a family gathering yeah. um, because they're just ready to, to love on one another. Uh, this, is, this is such an interesting conversation going back to what we talked about a, a little bit ago because it, it feels like what we have been trained to do, what we've been taught is the norm. You're going to go from this size church up to this size church up to this size church. If you get your doctorate after you hit that 500 person church, you'll then become a a district superintendent. Um, And then if you're lucky enough, you'll be the president of a college and then you'll be a general superintendent and that's that's and been the norm people said amen right. in the church the yeah. and, yep. and uh well we all joke like none of us want that though like <laughs> none of us want that but we all secretly want that yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. but but that's been the that's been the trajectory that's yeah, been that's absolutely. what been what's drilled into our heads and now whether it's been the a lot of people would say the last two years. Uh, I would take it back the last 15 or 20, 20. years. Yeah, yeah. yeah. The yeah, last 100%. 20 years, yeah. um, we've moved out of that mega church growth, or mega church church growth movement, which I think is a blessing. Amen. And and now we're realizing that the the blessing is in the small community church that loves well. Well, there, there's certain things that... There are plenty of larger churches that do do it well. Right. The the small group, the accountability portion, the discipleship part. Yeah. You know, for the last twenty years, we've spent so much time worship service, worship service. Who has the best music? Who has the best preaching? Who has the best kids program? Who has the best team program? Like, we got to go to that church because they have the things. And then COVID hit, and all the people who came because it was their habit, mm-hmm. and didn't have a solid relationship with the Lord, or they saw some of the dumb things that people said online or from the pulpit or and that had nothing to do with the word of god right they just walked away because we had discipled so poorly we discipled them for an experience exactly not for relational community that helped them really hold on to who god is and and we've lost and and this is maybe a different subject but we've we've lost so much within what the Sunday service can be because it's turned into a product. Um, This is something that I think is not a foreign conversation to the podcast that we're on right now. They've they've drilled it in. Um, Josiah, I know this is a huge concern and a hit hit point of his, but when we turn it into three songs and a 40-minute sermon and a prayer, which is what our church is, honestly, we're working, we're working on it is um, you lose out on so much formation because there's no formation happening in that, in that, in that setting. No, I mean, we wanted people to have that moment of conviction. Mm-hmm. Hit that altar, Yep. Change and we'll see you minor, next week. Minor key change. Yeah, and, and we'll see you next week. <laughs> yep. Right. And then they went to Monday, and Monday got hard, and Tuesday got hard. Mm-hmm. And um, one of the resources I, I love is... Pete Scazzaro and his whole emotionally healthy discipleship. And one of one of the lines in the book is that he had a guy come to him. He said, you know, I've been a Christian for 22 years. 
He goes, but I've recognized I've been a one-year Christian mm-hmm. 22 times. Mm. That we just keep leading them to that point of yep. salvation or rededication over and over again, but we never discipled people to be. We never sanctify them? Was that what you would say, Rob? We, uh, <laughs> we definitely didn't sanctify them. It's a, a um, Nazarene podcast. We can use but we also. But we also didn't show them what it was. Right. We didn't. We didn't. We we thought that we could do like one sermon or one sermon series, and it would give them all the tools they needed. Um, even just within harvest, I just did a survey this week, like just trying to gauge discipleship. Like, hey, yeah. are you doing a regular time with God? And um, I told him, I said, but I don't want to define the term regular for you, um, because you know. And I didn't tell them this, but for us, like regular attendance now is like what once every six weeks. Right. Um, but I said, but you know, but when your doctor defines regular, he means every day. Right. Yeah. Okay. So like, <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> so I'm not telling you that regular is every day, but yep. I'm really implying it. Yep. And um, and they were half and half. Hmm. And some of them have told me they've been like, I don't know how to do these things. Mm-hmm. I was expected to have a quiet time, but I don't know how to pray. What does the voice of God sound like? What am I supposed to read in the Bible? You know, that we've so dumbed it down to, come listen to us do our thing, right. and you'll be okay. Yep. And um, it's not been okay. No, and it's, it's, what it's done is it's, um, number one, it's, it's churned out, this is my own diagnostic, um, it's churned out ego-driven pastors, which is a detriment. Yes. And it's also, while it's been doing that, it's doing that because it's limiting the the work of the Holy Spirit. You know, earlier I said that we sanctify, but we all know that the Holy Spirit sanctifies. But the reason that hasn't been happening is because we've been limiting the work of God in our in our activities, whether they're services or whatever. So we, we talked about something last week um, when we were kind of preparing for this. What, what are some of the ways that you are fostering that loving community um, and, and what are some ideas that, that you have? I, I know you're in the honeymoon phase of, of ministry yes, right yes. now. <laughs> so good, so good. Yeah, uh, just the first few months um, as the senior pastor of a, of a new church, but what are some of the ideas, what are some of the things you're seeing to, to be able to uniquely, something different than anybody else is doing on Sunday mornings? It doesn't have to be super unique, but looks different than a normal church service. Yeah, one of the things that we tried out at the previous church was a service that had discussion built into it. Oh, yeah. Yep. So um, we actually played some games, too, which always helps yep. things. Right. But instead of sitting in rows, they sat at round tables. Yep. Um, while I love preaching, I find that I learn more through conversation. Yeah. Like, if, if I can bounce my ideas off somebody, let them hear me, let them respond, you know, I'm better for it. Yep than to be like, oh, thank you for that 20-minute monologue. I'm glad that we had a conversation. Exactly. I'm being kind with the 20 minutes because, let's be honest, not many pastors <laughs> go under 45. Yep. <laughs> um, but when we can challenge one another and ask a question like, hey, that doesn't make any sense to me. You know, I don't want to be the expert. I want to walk alongside people. And so one of those things that we want to look to foster is how can we build this discipleship discussions into the actual service itself. And part of that, some of the thoughts we're having is like two ways to do it. One, we can break up the message 
and then give them a discussion question to have at the table. That's what we've tried previously. Um, but also to then say, hey, we're doing away with that sacred cow of Sunday school. <laughs> and um, to then take that time and do a small group right there at the table as soon as the message is done. Mm-hmm. You know, don't give this whole like, well, we'll have a small group later on this week and talk about it. Although I did go to some of my, one of my people's uh, small groups this past week. And they verbatim hit every one of my points. I was so shocked and so amazed at the same point. <laughs> they were listening. <laughs> they were totally listening. At one point, one of them goes, do you remember this one point you made in your sermon? And I was like, <laughs> no, I, I vaguely remember what you're talking about. Yep. I'm like, <laughs> So uh, this is something that I've, I've been hearing in, in some, uh, some different spaces. But what, what, what you're talking about is, is you're taking the pastor as leader out of the equation and instead you're placing them within that community and I I think and and I'll have to correct this if I'm wrong um, but I think Shauna Shauna Gaines Dr. Shauna Gaines at Trevecca and then um, some of my other friends have been having a similar conversation Alicia McClintock have been talking about pastor as midwife helping a congregation birth something um, among them rather than rather than shepherd or something else like that, where I'm going to stand up at the top and you're going to follow me. We're walking with this congregation as they are being formed by God. And instead of saying, uh, I'm going to be the one forming you, you say, hey, we're all kind of in this together. Um, I'm, I'm not even necessarily leading the discussion. I'm participating. I would love what you said. I'm learning more when we're talking uh, uh, in, in conversation. Well, like, I'm almost 38. Yeah. Like, some of these people are in their 70s. Absolutely. They have way more life experience. So yeah. the only thing that I hope they hear is what the Holy Spirit's telling them through the message. I'm, I'm, <laughs> yes. Because their life experience, what they have been through, far outweighs anything I've ever been through. Yep. And so I, I want to learn from them. And, and they have vastly unique things to say to me that somebody else can't. You yep. know, But not just like in the worship setting... I want to take it the Monday to Saturday, yep. you know, because if we're just focused again, if we just go like now we're just going to have discussions on Sunday instead of, instead of services, it's just a right. program replacement. Exactly. No, that's exactly right. And so one of the things I, I really want to disciple our people t- to do three different things. One is to have a personal time with God. Mm-hmm. Like they need to have that intimate personal time with him. Um, whether it's one time a day, two time a day, um, you know, monastic monks have it like seven times a day. Right. I mean, and they're pretty set on some things, right? Right. Um, but they also don't forget that God is with them. That's exactly right. And we often do that when we only narrow it down to like one time a day. Yep. Um, the other one is family. You know, we do such a poor job as Christians training our kids to be good Christians mm. that the only time we feel like they get any spiritual formation is when they show up to church yep when realistically god didn't give me my kids to then take them to a place to disciple them right god gave amanda and i our girls to disciple them Mm -hmm. and that's when i look at molly who has down syndrome and I, i begin to watch like her go through all of her therapies and the therapist would come to me and she'd say okay here's part of the reason she's not walking well it's this muscle isn't communicating with this muscle, which isn't communicating with this muscle. And I'm like, I did not know like how intricate some of these things have to work together. 
and and I was like, this is discipleship. Hmm. Like we've got to help people see how all these things work together, mm. and not just expect them to get it. Yep. But when it's in my home, like I am responsible for my kids to learn how to love Jesus. That's nobody else's responsibility. Hmm. That's a man and I's responsibility. Yep. So you got your personal, you got your family, and if you're single, like have a close group of friends. Like again, my friends saw me through the worst times of my life, and without them, I don't know that I would have made it. Have a community. And which yes. is the last one is is community. Yep. You you need to have a small group of people, a, a church body that you're intimately not that you just show up and and go, oh look, I came to church today, but like People that are going to ask you the tough questions. Yep. Like, it, it's the one question that I've started talking to our people about, and, and they get, they just give me a look. Like, when was the last time in church somebody asked you, how's your relationship with God going? Yeah. No, it's, hey, how was your week? Great. Have a good one. Yeah. You know, nobody actually asks you how your relationship with Jesus is going in the place that Jesus is supposed to be. Right. You know, Lord and King or whatever, you know, like. (laughs) No. And, and that's exactly right. And, and what, what you're talking about with, with family and community, these are the ways that, that God moves. Some, sometimes we can get so dead set and stop at the personal relationship. Oh yeah. It's just between me and God. But, God moves and God works and and we could talk about this all day and I believe salvation was intended as a communal effort. This is we are we are saved by the grace of God that is around us in the community. And um whether you interchange like you said, even if you don't if you don't have a uh, blood family, that community becomes um your accountability. It becomes the way that that you grow and whether that's a church like whether that's within a church or within a, a close group of friends, um, it just it that's the way that God moves and always has, and we're doing a detriment to ourselves and to the work of God when we just make it between us and God. Yeah, because somebody has to check me. Yep. I mean verbally. Right. I mean because there are plenty of times I am very happy to ignore the Holy Spirit. At times. Oh, me too. Um, me too. Also, my wife. Um, also, my kids. Yep. But there's something about having somebody that can walk up to you and go, hey, you can't get away from this. Mm-mm. I need to know. Are, are you doing okay? Yep. Are, are you doing all right? When I had, the first person who I had truly asked me that question would not let me walk away mm. until I gave them a real answer. And they asked me that question every time they see me. And it's life-giving to me now. Yep. To recognize people do love me in that way. To say, hey, I need to know. Like, how are you? And so so you you take those community spots and then do with it what you need to do. If if that's a house church type mentality. Okay. Okay, perfect. I'm I'm, going to stop you right there. We're going to keep talking about that right there. Sorry. (laughs) So a couple couple weeks ago when we were talking, you mentioned the word. And I wanted to dig into a little bit you mentioned the word micro church yes so i know that it's just something you're being kicking around but, yes but tell me a little bit about your thoughts behind that so again because i believe that that we need to be more discussion based in, in what we do 
part of the uniqueness of, of where Harvest is at is we're very spread out. Yep. Um, you don't accidentally find Harvest. You <laughs> type in the address to the GPS and you go there. And hopefully, unlike the first time I typed it in, it will be the correct address. Right. Um, <laughs> it was like a half mile too, too close um, the first time we typed it in. That, that was a lot of fun. Um, but to keep saying, come to the building, come to the building, come to the building, come to the building. Well, I want my families to reach their neighbors. Yes. I want them to reach their coworkers. And to say, um, sorry to all of you super churchy people, this might offend, to say, hey, come to my sing-along that we have on Sunday mornings um, to a bunch of songs where we talk about blood, death, and the cross. and um, <laughs> Ocean, in the water. Yes, and my brokenness and my shame. And right. um, I ran out of that grave. <laughs> yeah. um, over and over and over and over. Right. <laughs> also the 10-minute versions of all those songs. And, <laughs> yep. and then to have some person stand up and in some cases, yell or mm-hmm. talk nonstop for 45 minutes to an hour. But it's so much fun. Right. Right. No, but if you look at them and you say, hey, some of us are getting together at the house. You want to come over for dinner? And it's so much more relational to introduce people. Now, is the large gathering important? 100%. Yes, it is. Right. I do believe that we have to have a place where we celebrate yep. what God has been doing throughout the week. Yep. But those little micro churches can happen anywhere. Yeah. Um, it could be you meet with somebody at a coffee shop. You you have people in your home. Like we we stop defining the church as a location, <laughs> and we start being it. And I love that for. A situation like Harvest, where it's like a commuter, a commuter church, yeah, that people come from all different areas. Because in so many instances, uh, parish ministry, as as in parish being the community you're in, is no longer the the business that the church is in. Right. And with so many people, you can't say, "Hey, no, stop coming to church here," even though they because they love our they may love your church, but to say, "Hey, what does it look like for you to take church home with you?" And not that doesn't mean you take our songs and our sermons home. That means that you love on the people that you're closest to. Um, yeah, taking and, that neighbor thing literally. Yeah, and, yeah. and then, then you find out what your group really does do. Maybe yep. maybe you do sing. Yep. Maybe you pray. Yep. Maybe you just have great times of fellowship together. Mm-hmm. Nowhere in the Bible does it sit there and go, okay, well now uh, everybody go to that one big building and we're going to count the attendance and um, you know, make sure you're here. I'm glad we finally got done with the perfect attendance awards you know, uh, back in the day. Yeah. Those, were, those were rich. Um, <laughs> Maybe one day we'll get rid of the attendance statistic. <laughs> ooh. To all the general superintendents listening to this, that was a hint, and we mean it. Um, also, counting online. But anyway. Yeah, no kidding. But what does it matter if nobody's coming to the Lord? If nobody's coming to a, a closer walk with Jesus, if, yep. if I can't, if it's still my job as the pastor to lead people to the Lord, then I have failed completely. Yep. Because... My job specifically from Ephesians is to equip the saints to do the work. That's exactly right. So my job is equipping, is discipling, is preparing them, is, is helping them, encouraging them. Yeah. A lot of our people feel like they're terrible Christians. Yeah. Because somebody who inevitably will say, well, you remember the good old days when the Holy Spirit just fell and this place just caught fire and people just running 
running the aisles and yeah. like when I was growing up, we had some little old ladies. Yep. You knew it. Like them hankies came out, they're waving them, they're slowly moving their way down the aisle because they couldn't run anymore. But like they talk about those times and I love it. But what I love more is when somebody says, hey, I, God and I were having a conversation and he really hit me in this place. How do I get through some of that? Or they're, they're talking, man, I was talking to a coworker, I was talking to my wife, talking to my husband, and we're really kind of working through what some of this looks like for us. Can you help us? Yes. Yep. Yes. Yep. Well, and um, this is another tangent that I could go on for forever. Um, and this is probably any of the conversations that I have on this podcast are probably going to end up uh, here somewhere. But what's happened is we've turned church into a checklist and a checklist to get to heaven. And so instead of it being a place where we are transformed to then go participate in the kingdom of God, really using some empty right language, (laughs) uh, then instead of it becoming that, it becomes, okay, I have to go to church, I have to do this, and then when I die, I can go to heaven. And again, talk about watering down the work of the Holy Spirit and the work that God can do in our lives. It becomes a place where it is a checklist, that in, and it's, it's not life-giving. If anything, it's life-taking, especially when you go and you hear a sermon that makes you deliberately kind of feel bad. Whether it's conviction or not, you know, um, it's just, it, it takes the joy out of Christianity, which means it's not true Christianity. Absolutely. Yeah, and, and especially when you, when you can walk alongside someone it stops being a checklist and starts being that relational aspect yes. that we desperately need. Yep. Like, I loved that I had people checking in on me. Mm. Not just through the hard times, but, but even now. Yep. Because it reminds me, like, hey, I need to check on people too. Yep. You know, like, I just need to make sure you're doing okay. Hey, just want to send you a quick text. Hey, praying for you today. Yeah. Why? Not because I need to prove my spirituality. <laughs> you know, I, I don't need to check that off of my list. Um, okay. But like I genuinely am concerned and, and want to make sure that their walk with God is not being hindered by me not asking. Yep. And so if we don't get more relational, we're going to miss out on the opportunity because I don't think Jesus' parables keep coming back going like, hey, and the, there was this group of people that missed it. Yeah. Hey, there's those virgins didn't have their oil, tr- they missed it. Hey, there's a whole group of you that are going to be like, Lord, Lord, I didn't know, you know, I did all these things and, oh, sorry, I didn't know you. Mm-hmm. You know, like, not you didn't know me. Right. You knew me. Right. Like, you knew everything about Jesus. You could, you could name all the books of the Bible. You could tell me everything, places we're at. But yep. God didn't know you because you never took the time to actually be in relationship with him. Yep. Yep. I mean, and every time... I, I read the Gospels, I am challenged that, and so thankful that he had the disciples. Like, without the disciples, um, I would wonder if any of us could make it, (laughs) but how many times does it say, and and then the disciples believed, Mm -hmm. and then they believed, they doubted, and then they believed. It gives me hope because there are times where I doubt. Absolutely. Like, my favorite prayer of all time is that the one guy who goes, Lord, help my unbelief. Because there's plenty of dark and scary places where the only thing I could utter was help my unbelief. Mm 
Well, let's let's end with this last uh, last question. Um, what is exciting you right now the most in ministry and church? Um, what what's the most exciting thing about ministry for you right now? The newness is exciting. Yeah. But also the fact that I have hope again. Mm-hmm. I. As hard as COVID has been, as hard as what I've walked through has been, like, I see hope just littered throughout the landscape. One of the first sermons that I heard post my time as I was dealing with everything was hope. Mm. And so I am so thankful that one, God has not given up on us, that, that hope is still alive and well and in different things than I ever could have thought of before. Yes, small church, sure. My life, sure. My wife, my kids, this conversation, the people that that I get the opportunity to interact with now, I see more hope, even in the midst of hard conversations. Like some of this, some part of this conversation is is hard. To talk about utterly saying in some ways, and this is how they hear it, this is not what we mean, but. The church of our childhood is dead. Right. It doesn't work anymore. Yep. Like, that's tough. But the fact that we're engaging in those conversations brings me hope mm-hmm. that, okay, Jesus, it's been tough to get through these things, but you're still on the throne. You still got this thing. I, I am extremely hopeful for what God is doing and what he is going to do in ways that I don't understand. Since we love millennials so much on this podcast, we thought it would be appropriate to promote our fellow millennial authors. Here's one now. Hey there, my name is Caleb Cray Haynes, and I'm the author of the new book, Garbage Theology, The Unseen World of Waste and What It Means for the Salvation of Every Person, Every Place, and Everything. In a time when the church has been far too silent on the environmental crisis facing us all, How might we have a better grasp on what the Bible says, what the science says, and how to engage in this very Christian calling to serve and keep creation? Woven through my story of working bivocationally as a pastor and a trash hauler, Garbage Theology seeks to tackle these large questions by taking a close look at what nobody wants to see, our waste. There is a link in the description if you would like to buy their book. Thank you for supporting your local millennial pastor slash author. The Millennial Pastor Podcast was created and produced by Byron Certain and Josiah Jones. This season's guest host is Hunter Thrasher. Our editor is Caden Barksdale. And original music was done by Andrew Jones. This podcast is part of the Millennial Pastor Podcasting Network. For more podcasts like it, please visit themillennialpastor.com. Thank you so much for listening. Please be sure to rate, review, and subscribe so you can join us on the next episode of the Millennial Pastor Podcast.